Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today, we've got Kit Farrell back on to talk about transitioning the ranch to a more enjoyable business, which I imagine is something that we all want to do. So Kit, welcome back and, and thanks for joining me again on the Herd Quitter Podcast. I appreciate being here. Yeah. So something I think a lot of people talk about, pretty much everyone in the cattle business they talk about is how do we make our businesses more profitable? And obviously that's pretty important, but something that's left out of the conversation a lot of the times is how do we make it more enjoyable? And so you've been very intentional about putting that into your your business mission statement even, is to put more fun and profit back into our businesses. So Kit, why is it important that we make our ranches more enjoyable and we put fun back into the business? Well, when I look at uh, the average age of cow-calf producers in America, it's somewhere around 60 to 65 years of age. And in most businesses, that's close to retirement age. And so you have to think, okay, why is that? You know, that's doesn't appear to be a healthy industry if the average producer is nearing retirement age. And I think probably what's happened is that the next generation is not that interested in coming back to the ranch. And the reason for that is because they've watched their parents work very hard, sometimes with off-farm jobs, just to break even. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not a great lifestyle. Work hard, break even, no fun. Uh, so, you know, we think that's profit is important. Enjoyment's important. If you don't have both of those, it's not sustainable. The next generation isn't coming back. If the next generation doesn't come back, then the business is not sustainable. That makes a lot of sense. And it's really kind of odd that it's not focused on, cause I know most business, a lot of these ranch businesses, it's just accepted as a reality that it's a full-time, you know, sun up till sundown kind of a job. And maybe people even take pride in that, but that's not really the way that it needs to be or should be. And so I'm curious when you look at kind of the history of ranching, what are some of the main things that would probably be looked at as just an an accepted as a necessity that is just totally not a necessity in the ranch business that we can change to make life more enjoyable? Well, I'm not sure you're talking to the right person here, uh, but I'll give it a try. I I jokingly tell people that I had fun once and I hated it. And uh, there's a little bit of truth to that. You know, I'm a workaholic. I enjoy work, whatever it is. You know, I've I've always enjoyed what I do. And my dad always says, you know, if you find something you love to do and you'll never have to work again. And so... I may not be the expert on having fun, but I think I can offer some uh, tidbits. And uh, I'm going to cover a couple of specific management practices first that are so obvious to me that uh, I don't know why people miss this. But number one would be the calving season. Hmm. You know, calving in the winter months, especially in a winter environment, makes no sense. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of work. I know people do it, but out of tradition, they think maybe they can wean bigger calves, they can do this and that. And I think, you know, you mentioned it a little bit. I think they're proud of it. You know, they they work hard, they lose, they have dead calves. They, you know, they brag about the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I calved and we calved here on this ranch in April for several years. 
And I thought, you know, I'm pretty close to where I need to be until I moved my calving in Colorado to May calving. I didn't realize how far out of sync I was, uh, but I was. I mean, I, April calving, when we get a, a snowstorm, it's always horizontal. You're going to lose calves. And the other thing is that I can't calve in April every year without feeding cows. Well, I don't like to feed cows. I just assume they fed themselves. So with May calving, we basically, you know, it's, it's easy peasy. You know, the cows take care of themselves all winter. We're not feeding hay. We're not feeding protein supplement. Uh, they can calve in, you know, 90% of the calves are born in 30 days. You know, everything works out when you're in sync with nature. Now, for some who are in a different environment than mine, you know, I might reword that and say calve in sync with your forage resources. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in fescue country, for example, you know, I, I would say forage resources on fescue, you know, that's going to be fall calving. You know, if you, if you want to be no input in fescue country, fall calving is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But calving season can create a lot of work. Uh, calving heifers is work. You know, I used to calve heifers out here close to the house, and we used to check them every two to four hours throughout the day. Well, that isn't fun. I mean, who wants to get up in the middle of the night and check heifers? And, uh, you know, we we now calve our heifers out with the cow herd, uh, and the cow herd may be calving eight, ten miles from home. I mean, we let a cow be a cow. When your heifers are around the place, calving around the place in an in unnatural environment, you know, they, they're totally stupid. You know, I, I, I always wondered why my heifers were so stupid and their calves were even stupider. You, you, you almost had to jumpstart every, every new calf and, uh, calving in sync with nature out on the open range with the cow herd. I mean, those heifers lay down and have a calf, the calf gets up and nurses. What, what could be easier and more fun? Yeah, the uh, the other advantage that I see in the, the, the calving early, or the only advantage, having started off ranching here and coming home from college calving in the middle of March is that uh, every year over winter, I would put on probably 15 pounds sitting around in the slow season. And then come March season, spreading corn stalks in the barn, picking up calves, getting them started, I'd shave that off in a couple of weeks. So it's a good weight loss and workout program. But if you're trying to enjoy your life, it might not be the best fit. And I can't tell yeah. you how many people I know who, like you say, get up every two hours hours all you know calving season long 60 days 90 days and that just doesn't sound enjoyable to me (laughs) not even a little no and and their kids i mean they're sitting there watching this their whole lives and saying you know i don't have to work near this hard to make a whole lot more money Mm -hmm. and that's a shame because it doesn't have to be hard when you're calving in sync with nature in a natural environment it's it's fun it's enjoyable it's uh it's just, it's soothing. You know, I, yeah. you go out there to, to uh, get a pick me up instead of to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I, I think most people think they have to do is they think they have to tag every calf that's born. Mm-hmm. And if you have a registered herd, like I have, you know, that's probably true. I need to tag and weigh every calf within 12 hours, but most people have a commercial cow herd. All their, they're just wasting time and energy putting those tags in that the calf, the, the cow knows which calf is hers without a tag. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, I, I, it's dangerous. Every year you're going to hear somebody getting hurt or killed tagging calves. And uh, for every reason somebody comes up with that you have to tag a calf to do this, to do that, I can tell them 
how you how, how you can do it without taking a cab. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's not necessary. I, I guess uh, probably the one one thing about well, you have to tag calves so we know which cow has the dink calf. Mm. Well, that doesn't that's not hard to do. I mean, you're when you ride or drive out there to check your cows, mark down the cow. I mean, I ear tag cows, but you don't have to ear tag calves until they come through a working shoot. But if you see a cow with a dink calf, write her number down. I mean, there's there's a cow that didn't do her job. Uh, if you don't do that, then wait till weaning, uh, sort off the cows from uh, the calves from the cows and then sort off the dink calves from the regular calves, wait two hours, turn those calves out to the cows and they'll run right to their mother. Now you have identified the cow without spending all that time. You know, how many miles do we drive? How many hours do we spend putting ear tags in calves when all you really need to do is check in on the cows once a day? Uh, again, when you go out to ch- watch your cow's calf, it should be fun. It shouldn't be work. And you shouldn't have to put yourself at risk. Now, when we shifted to, to May calving, it it was just mind-blowing. It's like, gosh, I didn't realize that it could be this easy and this simple. Yeah. And uh, it, it just makes lot, life a lot easier. And people are still blown away when I tell them we check you know, once or twice a day just to see what calves there are. And because, like you say, we're registered, yeah. we have to we have to take some of those records but yeah it's interesting how and especially if you're in a commercial operation how simple life can be during that calving season it doesn't have to be the dreaded time of year the you know that you need to bring in extra labor it can be just as enjoyable as the rest of the year yeah most ranchers have a commercial herd there's absolutely no good reason to put tags in their calves until they run through this working chute we have lots of customers that you know they check once or twice a week not really a problem again you know one of the things i learned when we went from uh, april calving to may calving is that we have almost no abnormal presentations now we used to have in april you know five percent some years for abnormal presentations you have to be there mm-hmm. they went away when we started calving in sync with nature so all of the problems we used to think about they're not there anymore. And yeah. uh, you don't need to be Johnny on the spot and watch every calf be born. Uh, farmers say, well, I've got to get all my calving done before I start farming. No, you don't. Let the cows calve and you go farm. Yeah. Uh, when you move from March to May, especially in your environment, you know, you increase the length of the day by three or four hours. Yeah. You know, you've got plenty of time to drive a tractor and check your cows once a day if you want to, mm-hmm. but you don't have to. Yeah, I'm re- reminded of a customer in the panhandle of Nebraska. He was running like 1,200 cows by himself, everything by himself, most of it from the back of a horse. And uh, his his 84-year-old dad was visiting him one day, and, and uh, his dad said, you know, if I knew ranching could be this easy, I'd still be ranching. Huh. I, I mean, you can ranch at 84 years of age if you let the cow be a cow. You don't have to tag those calves. You don't have to worry about winter storms. So another thought crossed my mind is, you know, I think it's easier for uh, May calvers or calving in sync with nature to leave their calves on their cows for 10 months, wean, wean later, which is better for the calf, better for everything, but it's also much easier, you know, instead of having a pasture full of calves and a pasture full of cows, we've got them all together all winter. What could be easier? Yeah. 
And something that came to my mind when you were talking about like the ease of calving, I mean, part of the reason that people are checking daily is not just the weather, but because their, their genetics are not suited to calve naturally by themselves. I mean, they're, they have to be there to assist because that's just, they're, you know, hundred pound calves. Uh, talk about, yeah. you know, the selection criteria that PCC has been doing for generations to, or for decades to select for the, for, for that calving ease. Well, calving ease is important to us, and it could be, you know, maybe it's just because we're lazy, but I'd rather be lazy and happy than uh, working my butt off, you know, trying to calve. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Gary Gary Rhodes, you know Gary, but uh, he's a customer, a longtime customer, probably bought bulls at our very first sale 31 years ago. But Gary says, if I ever have to set my coffee cup down during calving, I'm being overworked. <laughs> and uh, that's the way it should be. And Gary checks his heifers, you know, tw- twice a week and gets along just fine. Mm. So, you know, genetics are important. We, uh, in the beginning, maybe didn't try to specialize in calving ease, but we don't want anything else. I mean, why wouldn't you want calving ease? Why wouldn't you want calves that grow on the outside of the cow instead of the inside of the cow? If you have true calving ease, the right genetics, you don't have to be there. You don't have to be concerned. And PCC actually offers a calving, guaranteed calving ease. Yes. Bulls, I believe, right? You, you score yeah. every animal for calving ease. Talk about how you score them for that and what that guarantee offers. Most of the time we're using the EPDs, the calving ease direct EPDs, and the birth weight EPDs to establish our calving ease score. And I would say well over half, probably two-thirds, three-fourths of our bulls have four and five star calving ease and four and five star calving ease is, you know, that's very safe on heifers. The five star bulls we guarantee for calving ease. You know, you can take these five star bulls, put them on your high growth, big birth weight cattle and get away with it. We also, I mean, we look at their EPDs, but we also go back into the pedigree. You know, if grandma has a high birth weight, We'll, we'll knock a star off of the off the bull. I mean, we want to be confident that we have what we we say we have. Uh, I don't know of anybody else that guarantees calving ease. We don't have any problem doing it. I don't even remember the last time we had to cover that. You know, it's just with our customers, we're just not having to cover it. I don't know if you have anything else on, on calving season and calving ease. Otherwise, do you have other parts of the beef business that you yeah. focused on making easier? Well, I think the number one we've covered is the calving season and, and the things we think we have to do to, to calve out. The, the second management practice that I think is a specific, is a big deal, is rotational grazing. And basically that we're talking about, uh, you know, in our, in our program here at home, we, after building some cross fences and, and piping some water, we started a rotational grazing system in, 19, in the summer of 1994. So, you know, we've been at this for a long time. Uh, we know it works, but simply put, it involves putting all of our cows in one pasture or in one herd, and then we rotate them through a series of smaller pastures that we, we might call paddocks. But in, in my part of the world, everything's cut up into square miles. So 
a square mile pasture is a section that's 640 acres. There's a windmill out there dug down, you know, with a well down into the Ogallala Aquifer. Every square mile in my rainfall area, which is like 12 inches a year, will handle about 35 cow-calf pairs. That's about what the windmill will handle. That's what the grass will handle. That's year-round grazing. And I remember when we first got on this ranch and taking care of things, you know, it would it would be an all-day job to go out and check cows in the summertime because you'd have 35, 40 pair here. You'd have 35, 40 pair there. I mean, we were always driving around looking for a group. We had, a, instead of a one windmill or well to take care of, we had six. You know, instead of four miles of fence, we would have, you know, 24 miles of fence or 40 miles of fence. So, you know, putting all your cows in one group does several things. You know, it allows the grass that's not being grazed at that time to recover and grow. It's very easy. And now we're kind of getting into the profit part of this, but it's very easy to increase your grass production and beef production by 50%. Well, that's substantial. I mean, that's like saying, okay, I'm weaning 500 pound calves and without doing anything, I'm weaning 750 pound calves. You know, but that's not how it's done. You know, we're able to run more, we'll produce more grass. So we're running more cows, uh, put them all together, you know, and there's, you know, as well as I do, and you've talked to people that are, you know, they've increased grass production by 200, 300, 400%. Wow. I, I mean, I can't go out and buy any grass. I can't go out and lease any grass, but if I can double my production on the grass I have, you know, that makes ranching make a whole lot more sense. But as far as the fun side of this, you know, it's it's fun to go out and there and check one herd and go back and do whatever you want to do, rather than checking six or seven herds. Yeah, and also just I I'm not out in your territory where you talk 35 cows to a quarter section. Uh, you a know, that's section. about as much a full section. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean that that's wild. Totally different than my environment here in southeast Minnesota. But you know, from what I've heard of people who are running cattle in that area too, is just the amount of time it takes if you want to do just a general herd health check go look at the cattle and, and you've got, you're not just going and visiting one herd. You've got the herd spread, 35 cows spread over 640 acres. You're spending all day, you know, all, a ton of time just yeah. looking for the cattle alone. Whereas if you're moving them in a small area, you know, right where they're at, it's you know much quicker just to find. Yeah, if the you saddle up and leave home on a horse, you probably ought to pack a lunch or something. Cause you're not going to be back. I mean, it's in this bigger country, it just takes a while Mm-hmm. to ride or drive or however you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's that yeah. takes the enjoyment out of it. You know, I uh, I remember, you know, our our kids can go back and say, you know, all they remember, all they remember is checking cows. We check cows, we check cows, we check cows. And now, mm-hmm. I mean, we just don't do that. You know, when I was growing up, my, we counted every every mm-hmm. every group. We would count every cow and every calf because that's what dad did. And uh, I always tried to figure out, find out what mm-hmm. the real number is so I could get the right count and we could go home. But, uh, you, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to make yeah. life so, uh, so hard. And with this rotational grazing, I mean, there's, as I said, the financial benefits are huge. The enjoyment is there. The time, not near as time consuming. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's interesting how all of these, they're so directly 
correlated. I mean, it's not just something for enjoyment or something for financial profitability and stuff. They're, they both go hand in hand. I mean, same thing with the calving season and stuff. There's financial benefits and enjoyment benefits. And I think that's probably one of the biggest surprises is people think when you start talking about moving cattle, you know, in our area, couple times one to three times a day or if it's once a week whatever i mean that just seems like a a ton of work but when you're doing it for one group instead of however many groups you were doing before i mean it really does just make life simpler and easier and you know who doesn't want to be with their cattle once a day you know or who doesn't want to see their cattle on a regular basis anyway so if you're out there it doesn't take too long no cows figure this out real quick and uh i mean i i think they even have a a built-in time timer of sorts. I mean, they know when you're probably going to show up and open a gate, and uh, you know it's a it's a lot less labor. Mm-hmm. But I hear people, you know, if I'm asked to speak about this, you know, people say, "Well, it's just too much labor." Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's less labor uh, building the cross fences. I mean, we're just using single wire fences. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just use temporary fences. Again, I mean, you could build a quarter mile fence. And not very much time. I mean, as fast as you can walk a quarter mile, you've just about got the fence mm-hmm. built. So, you know, what's, what's tough about that? But we can come up mm-hmm. with all these reasons that we can't do. We've got a calve in the wintertime and we can't put our cows together. We can't whatever. Makes no sense. We're, we're our own worst enemies, ranchers are, because we won't think outside the box we put ourselves in. I don't know a, mm-hmm. a harder-headed group of people than ranchers sometimes. You know, I I hate to say <laughs> that, but uh, we create our own problems. Yeah. And and like you talked about, I mean, kind of getting back to the financial side, is when you really realize the benefits in terms of production or, like you said, getting 750 pounds instead of 500 pounds per unit of grass or whatever, I mean, you can't afford no. not to do these things. It's, it's, you're leaving money on the table. I mean, people will spend however much time, however much money going out and buying a new ranch and fencing and building infrastructure on a new ranch, but they don't spend a little bit of time to, to fully utilize and maximize productivity of their own. So, so like you said, you know, when, when we increase enjoyment, we're almost always increasing profit and it, and that's, it's such a no, no brainer, but you have to, you know, I, I guess I'm going to challenge your listeners, and I would say your listeners are probably heads and shoulders above everybody else. But you know, think outside the box that you've got yourself in. You know, don't don't say we can't do this because find out. You know, maybe you can do whatever we're talking about. Yeah, and something that just kind of popped into my mind on on the first topic we kind of talked about with calving window that's somewhat related to that is the the ability to graze all winter as opposed to feed all winter. I mean, you know, feeding is a huge job and people say, well, you got to feed because you calve in January and you need to have the proper nutrition for those animals to be able to calve at that time. But if you move your calving window back, that can drastically reduce your winter labor costs. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, the two together, managing, managing the grass, with a rotational grazing system year round. I mean, we're in the same pastures, summer, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring. We just keep rotating. We move cattle faster when the grass is growing faster. So we don't eat the same plant twice. Uh, when the grass is dormant or during a drought, we can slow way down. We don't have to move cattle very often, but properly done with a calving season in sync with nature, there is no winter feeding. I mean, we, we, we provide no hay and no protein 
to our cows and most of our producers are the same way, except, you know, maybe in the northern environments. Uh, when we get snow on the ground for an extended period of time, we will hay. We're not going to forego all haying, but it's not very da- very many days every winter that we have to hay. Yeah, and it makes life so darn simple. I know when we were started out here in Minnesota, we were feeding hay. Usually in our situation, we, we bale graze, and so we fed hay every two to three days, uh, you know, maybe four days if we can stretch it out long enough and have enough hay um, and, and feeders, which made which already is significantly better than the folks who have to feed hay daily or feed daily and maybe even mix TMR and, and bring it out to the cattle daily and then haul that manure back out in the spring. I mean, all that is work. But now as we've looked to extending our grazing season, I mean, we're reducing our labor even more because the cattle are doing the work for us by being able to graze all winter long. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty life-changing. But uh, is there any other things, you you know, specific or, or general that you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I think I'd like to, I made a couple notes earlier, but I think I'd like to go over some general management practices and maybe human nature. You know, I, I think that a lot of ranchers, Farmers, ranchers get out of bed in the morning. They really don't know what they're going to do that day. They're kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And I think that costs time. It, uh, it, it takes away your, enjo- your enjoyment. Much of this is because we don't plan or think ahead. You know, if, if you just get out of bed and go f- put out a fire or fix a fence that's broke down or do this or that, you know, you never know what you're going to do because it's always – there's always something out there that has to be done. And most of these guys can stay busy doing these something things all day long. And what I, what I see and what I try to do is, you know, I try to make a plan and I try to be more proactive and less reactive. I don't know why, but I think we were just born to be reactive. We see what's, what's going wrong and we try to go fix that. Then we go fix, you know, we're, we're, put, we're spending all day long putting out fires instead of backing up and creating some fire prevention. So, you, you know, that's, that's probably what gets a lot of people in trouble. They don't know what they're going to do, when they're going to do it. There are always the jobs that I don't like to do. Your, your jobs you don't like to do may be different than mine, but let's put those down on the calendar and let's get these jobs done. You know, this is day. I know we don't like to do this, but we're going to go do this this day or these two days. And we may spread out those jobs instead of working 10 days on a job we hate. You know, let's work two days every week or a day every week. Uh, again, that's, uh, that's going back to uh, being prepared and being proactive instead of uh, just reactive. And I, that, that I think kills everything, you know, is not knowing what you need to do and not getting it done. But the, the best managers I see, you know, they have a plan. I call it a plan of action. And, and you know, they have who's responsible for this job. When does it have to be done? And, uh, you, you know, you, you just keep creating new plans of action. And before long, you look back and say, man, you know, this is, this is efficient. I don't have to get up every morning and fix fence because we took care of that last month. You know, we're, we're ahead of the game. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to have some emergencies creep creep up because you will. Uh, The other thing with your plan of action, I I like to label things there as being urgent and important. 
You know, you know, the urgent things have to be done first. The important things, not not so urgent. The unimportant. I mean, those are things you want to do, but you don't have to do. I mean, they can, they they can they can wait. But we could probably spend two hours in the house every week and simplify our lives just by creating this plan. And and maybe we extend this out for a week, a month, or whatever. But uh, we don't have to be running around putting out fires, fixing fences, all these things that we tend to do. Yeah, and my first thought when I was hearing you say that, I was thinking to myself, well, like, who has the time to do that? And then I got to thinking about what we just talked about and all of the things that we have done, you know, by shifting our business model to provide more time and to reduce the labor spent doing all these things. Well, that, I mean, it's almost a compounding effect when you start making changes that allow you to have more time. You have more time to put towards management and you're, when you start putting time towards management, you start shifting your business model again in ways that allow for more time. And, and all of a sudden it's, it's a compounding cascading effect of improvement of lifestyle. It's amazing. It's too bad I have to be as old as I am before I figure some of this out. Michael Gerber wrote the book E-Myth and E-Myth Revisited. Uh, I recommend that book. It's not about ranching, but it's about business. And in it, he talks about working on the business and working in the business. And most of us are technicians. You know, we work in our business. You know, we have a $10, $15 an hour job every day. That's all we're doing. You know, we could replace what we're doing with some high school kid. But when you start backing up, sitting down, taking a couple hours a week to work on the business, you know, you're getting paid a hundred to a thousand dollars for every hour, probably a thousand dollars for those two hours because you're saving everything else. Uh, the, the quote that, uh, I probably read that his original book back in the late 90s. And I, I came to this quote that says, if your job or your business, if your business depends on you, you don't have a business. You have a job and you're working for a lunatic. Yeah. That that hit home with me big time. And I don't know, you, you know, 99.9% of cow-calf producers, ranchers, farmers, That's that describes them. I mean, we need to back up and work on our business. If that business depends on you being there every day, putting out fires, something's wrong. You know, we talked earlier about uh, some people being too busy to take care of business. Well, that's that's garbage. You know, if you're too busy to take care of business, you're too busy and you're, you're, you don't have a business. You have a job and you're working for a lunatic. Yeah, no, that... That's a great point that I think, you know, I didn't, we have to figure out more. So, I mean, we're on our place here in, in Minnesota. And I know, like you said, 99 plus percent probably of ranches are in the same position as where they're, they're in, they're very much dependent on the, the, in, you know, the family and they don't have a backup plan. You know, if something was to change or, or how do we, you know, how do we shift some of those responsibilities that are at those low paying jobs to, to people who, you know, to, to somebody else to allow for time for us to work on the business. So great point that I think is uh, <laughs> something we need to figure out ourselves. But, um, is there any other topics or co- kind of pieces to this conversation you want to share? I, th- I think, I think we've covered most of it. I guess one thing I would say just as important is we need to schedule in time to take off. We need to schedule in time for vacations. I mean, put it on the calendar every week, 
every month, whatever. But uh, again, most farmers and ranchers, oh, I'm too busy to take any time off. Well, then you're just too mm-hmm. too busy. You know, it's, uh, that's, no, that's not an excuse I'm going to buy. Uh, however, you know, I look back and in, in my life and when I had little kids at home, this is when I should have been paying attention. You know, I needed to spend more time with these kids. And I think maybe God's got it backwards. But when I didn't have the time or the money to spend with the kids is when I had the kids. You know, later on, you have the time and the money, but your kids are gone. So, you know, don't don't allow that to happen if you have kids at home. You know, I know you've got a, a young one. And, you know, before you know it, that young one's going to be in college or somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But. I would say every year set down and, you know, whether it's January, December or, or May, but mark out a space for vacation time, mark out a space to, you know, for me, uh, riding a horse is an enjoyment for me, but I can always find something that I think I should be doing instead of enjoying riding a horse. That's not good. You know, I, you, you do the things you enjoy doing and make time to do those. Well, great points and great thoughts, kid. I really appreciate you sharing them today. Uh, before I let you go, I, I know we're kind of coming up on fall bull season time. So if you wouldn't mind, I, I'd give you an opportunity to plug the sales dates, locations, and maybe talk a little bit about those, the the genetics and bulls you've got uh, kind of for sale here this fall. Uh, we've just completed our bull work days. That means, you know, we, we've, uh, we've evaluated like 245 bulls here in Colorado uh, we moved on to Nebraska, did the 180 or so bulls there, moved up to Montana, did the 85 bulls in Montana, and uh, Tyson just returned home from Texas doing our heat-tolerant bulls down there that's going to sell in Alabama. But uh, it looks like we haven't uh, finalized this. It looks like we're probably going to have all total about 450 bulls, grass-developed bulls, uh, 18 months of age, uh, bulls that should be able to breed twice as many cows for twice as many years as the typical diesel bull that uh, is grain-fed. And our predominant breeds are going to be, uh, here in Colorado, we're going to have Angus and Red Angus, Hereford, some very good Herefords, and uh, some composites. Nebraska will have Angus, Red Angus, and composites. Montana, only uh, Angus and Hereford. And then our Alabama sale, this will be our second year in Alabama. These are heat-tolerant composites. It's amazing when you go you, when you see those bulls in the heat of the day out there grazing when everything, everything else in that surrounding area are shaded up or standing in the water. You know, these are uh, – I'm really excited about our heat-tolerant program down there uh, selling in Alabama. Uh, the sale dates, I think we're – the first Monday in November is Colorado. I think that's the second. And then we go to Alabama on the 13th. For the first time ever, we're going to back our Nebraska sale off to the early December, December 4th. And then the Montana sale. This will be our first time in Montana. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's uh, November 13th. or December 11th. 11th. Yep. December 11th. Yeah. December 4th and 11th for Nebraska and and Montana. But if... People are interested in the right genetics, grass-efficient grass genetics. You know, I don't know anybody else that has low-maintenance genetics like we have. I mean, we've almost taken that to an extreme. 
but it works out financially. It works yeah. out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kit. I appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing this great, great topic and great information. So look forward to having you on again soon. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.